Welcome to the International Association of Business Communicators, Amina Region podcast. This is Monique Zitnik. Our next guest is someone who I've very much admired as a podcast host and an IABC leader, and who I finally met at the IABC World Conference in New York in 2022. Based in London, Katie McCauley is a leading voice in employee communication. She's an international public speaker, managing director of AB, author of From Cascade to Conversation, a member of the International Executive Board of the Association of Business Communicators and host of the Internal Comms podcast. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much, Monique. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And as I said, I've really, really been looking forward to our conversation. It's been a couple of years now that I've been wanting to sit down and have a chat with you and just speak to the host behind the podcast <laughs> that everybody's listening to. And Katie, if I can start with a very, just an introductory kind of question, because you've had 33 years already as a huge career in communications. How would you summarise that experience and what are your main areas of focus right now? Yes, I've been very lucky, I think, to have had a very fulfilling, interesting career in communications over the last, yes, it has been 33 years. That's, uh, That's scary, isn't it? But I've worked across every pretty much every comms discipline, I would say. So spent some time in investor relations, writing annual reports mm-hmm. and writing presentations for analysts, which was very interesting. Some time in branding and marketing, which I hugely enjoyed. But my first love, I think, has always been the internal audience, employee communication. I think that's always been my my first and sort of longest love, I guess. And why is that, Katie? Oh, that's I'm a good curious. question. I just want to... <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. They are, I think the internal audience is, from my experience, the most... I would say most important and most demanding. And I know that everyone's Mm -hmm. going to say, but without customers, without clients, there is no business. And that is true. But I think what happens with the employee audience and why I always think of it as the primary audience Mm -hmm. is it's that audience that influences absolutely every other. Employees often are the business. I've met many, you know, chief executives over the years that have said to me, I've asked them, you know, why do you place importance on internal communications? And the really smart chief executives say, well, my genuinely my most important asset in terms of competitive advantage leaves this building every night. And I just got to hope they come back the next morning. So I think there is that understanding that employees are the primary audience that influences every other. They are the business. And although we live in a world where clients and customers can talk to each other and and all the rest of it, I think actually also what's happening is that clients and customers care very much about how the organisations they buy from, how they treat their people. So in that respect, I think employees have risen up the corporate agenda. We've got a huge talent crunch as well. So I think there's even more importance to kind of communicate well with employees. So they're the most demanding. I think they're the primary audience. In my mind, they're always the most important. And if I'm being very honest, we still fail sometimes to communicate with them as well as we should do. It surprises me even to this day. Organisations have so much knowledge 
insight about their customers. They can target them, anticipate what they need, test things out with customers, co-create products and solutions. But so often we fail to do exactly that with the people that are working you know, a few doors away, in the office away, at the end of a phone line. So I, I um, that's a conundrum that I've been frustrated by, I think, that's kept me going to, to sort and to help, yeah, help solve that problem. I completely understand. And how did you find this love of internal comms? How did you, did you fall into it? Did you decide, how did, how did your career path go? I was hugely influenced by I'd love to tell you a sort of Pulitzer winning prize novelist because I wanted to be a journalist. It wasn't somebody hugely prestigious that I was influenced by, but growing up, I was hugely influenced by Lois Lane. I'll tell the truth. Completely fictitious character. (laughs) I wanted to be Lois Lane. She's fabulous though. She's fabulous. So I thought Superman was faintly ridiculous. I mean, here was a guy running around with underpants over a pair of tights. I just thought, no, 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 I just don't get Superman. But Lois Lane, her drive to get the story to get her name above the fold, to ask the awkward question, to hold power to account, to find out the truth of the story. Oh, for me, there was no other, there was no better career. I did spend some time with national newspapers, women's magazines, the glosses. And then, as people will tell you, they fell into internal communications. Unfortunately, that is true for me. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't a strategic decision back in 1990. But as soon as I, I remember one of the first factory visits I ever did and Tetley Tea had invented round tea bags. So we are going back a long, a long time, but it's a vaguely interesting story. Tea bags had always been square, a bit like banking. You bought the tea bags your parents bought. And so the tea bag market, the tea market was incredibly static. You see, it was a bit like banking. You banked with, you know, whatever bank your parents banked with. Anyway, so round tea bags. And I remember these coming off the line for the first time, watching this, talking to the people that had developed the idea, the suppliers, the manufacturing people, the people physically working the line. And I just thought, my goodness me, none of this happens without fantastic, effective communication. And this is a story we need to celebrate across this very large organisation. It was part of a huge organisation called Allied Lines at the time. And I thought, here I am. As a novice grad, you know, just fresh out of university, I get to tell this story. And not only that, but these people are going to spend, what, a third of their lives, two thirds of their lives at work? I hadn't really worked out that point. But I get to help communicate about work to those people, about something that they're going to sort of dedicate 30, 40 years to, no matter what organisation you work with, you are you are working for a huge proportion of your waking hours in your life. So it felt to me like a really worthwhile, you know, from the get-go, from day one, it felt like a really worthwhile endeavour, I would say. So I fell in love with it almost immediately, I would say. <laughs> You're still in internal communications. Is there a particular area that you're focused on right now? Like a particular, because it, it as a profession, it's grown so much since then. It and, has. Um, split off into different niche areas. Have you got something that makes your eyes sparkle? Yes, yes. It's, and um, my colleagues at AB might roll their eyes at me uh, when I say this, but when I look across our client base, I notice one thing that they all have in common, 
which is that they have the most complex, trickiest internal communication problems. So we tend to work with high profile organizations that are large and global often. There's often Mm -hmm. with many of them, they'll have a unionized workforce. They'll be going through some kind of major change or transformation. And they will often have remote or deskless employees as well. So Mm -hmm. when I think of where, as, as an agency, where AB tends to feel comfortable, ironically, it's with the most uncomfortable IC issues. We think we're the oldest internal communications agency in the world. We were established in 1964. So I would urge your listeners to get in touch with you. And um, I would love to meet an agency that's older and compare uh, war stories, I suppose. But yes, I think I think that's where we kind of spend most of our time with those kind of really quite complex, intricate internal comms challenges. I spend my time now much more in the advisory space, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I'm called in when the problem hasn't quite been diagnosed, when we still need to uncover what the actual problem is with research, potentially with that insight And I enjoy that. I enjoy that kind of advisory space where I get to ask people questions about their business and where it's going and what they're trying to achieve and how comms can be an enabler to organisational success. I think I'm most comfortable now operating at at that level. So, yeah, I still I feel as passionate and excited about the professions I did in that very first day watching the round tea bags come off the line in, in 1990. Oh, they've got triangular ones. Now. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> at the, um, just uh, quickly before we, I've got oh, so many questions I want to ask you, but if Santa was to come and knock on your door tomorrow and say, Katie, I have the best project for you ever, what area of internal comms would it be? Would it be like a a tricky culture piece or a a sort of delving into the hybrid work complexities? Where where would, what would come out of Santa's bag? I'm going to give you a real life example, actually. Why not give you an actual one that we're grappling with right now? So I'm not going to name the company, although I'm sure... Let's just call him Colin because that's his real name, but I won't name the company. And if he's listening back to this, um, he can tell me afterwards I could have done, but I'm going to maintain his confidentiality. He had read from Cascade Conversation, which the book now is almost a decade old. And I suppose I was thinking to myself, does it still have relevance after a decade? But he'd read it and he said, We don't have that yet, Katie. We don't have the communicating organisation. We don't have a proper storytelling organisation where there are communities of people coming together, sharing great stories, where internal communications as a team, the internal comms team, is mainly a facilitator of dialogue. We don't have that yet, but that's what I, where I want to get to. How do we do it? And I love those problems where you literally have a blank sheet of paper in front of you and you have to think, well, that's where they are today. That's where they want to be. What is the route? What's the map to getting there? And 
in in order to uncover the root map for that you have to start at the very beginning you've got to understand the mechanisms by which they communicate today what their culture's like today what their management hierarchy is like the competences and capabilities of leadership at all level to be professional or effective i should say communicators and then you've got to work out well what do you physically need to put in place not just in terms of upskilling masterclasses but also tone of voice documents all sorts of things that you might want to support leaders at all level in order to become those storytellers within an organization then you've got to motivate people to want to do that it's all very well equipping them you can give someone the how-to guide but we all know from behavioral science capability is only one part of the jigsaw you've got to have motivation so how do you activate people how do you actually get that behavioral change what's the reward mechanism what's the recognition mechanism and then even when you've solved all that problem for one cohort in a trial how do you then systemize it or structure it in such a way that it's ongoing it maintains itself so that's a real life challenge at the moment and it's the kind of thing I absolutely love. It, it's complex, it's in depth, it's breaking new territory. It's something that hopefully we can look back on in a year, two years, and actually say, by doing this, we have helped the organization move forward in quite a, a dramatic and, and yeah, important way, I guess. Steps into a lot of areas with the leadership and also the training and also equipping and um, the engagement and motivation factors as well, which is huge and also into the culture. So, yeah, huge, huge project and all the best with that. Um, just to go back to um, we had dinner not so long ago in London and I remember talking with you about how much you loved podcasting because it gives you an opportunity to speak and learn from interesting people and I get to uh, speak and learn from you and also how you really enjoy sharing this with others. What was your motivation for starting the show? Mm. I think it was just at the time, it was 2019? 2019, was it? yes, yeah. it was. Have you ever met anyone who said to you, um, I've got 30 years experience in this job and when you get talking to them, you realise that they haven't really got 30 years experience. They've got one year and they've repeated it 30 times. We've all met people like that. And I think that was the fear that was, if I'm being really honest, driving the thought that I wanted to launch this show. I didn't want to get to a certain point in my career and think you're relying far too much on what you know and what you've always done rather than learning something new. And so the show was born out of my desire to learn more, to progress in my thinking and my approach as much as anything else. So you could call it a little bit of a selfish endeavor, the whole creation of the show. And I hope listeners feel it's certainly true from my perspective that I'm going on a journey as much as they are in terms of what I'm hoping to learn through interviewing my my guest. So that was that was largely the impetus for doing it. I think the other thought in the back of all of our heads was, well, you know, back in 2019, was there really an audience for a show that was purely about internal communications? And I think we all thought, well, let's give it a go. 
we hadn't done of the, any of those best practice things that we tell our clients to do, like research the market and come up with, you know, a proper plan with success factors built in and measurable targets. We hadn't done any of that. So we hadn't, you know, we hadn't done what we should have done. We launched it thinking that maybe we would do three or four episodes. I would, you know, maybe convince a few friends, my mum and my sister to listen, and that would be it. We entered the iTunes new and noteworthy charts on the day we launched it and we finished at number nine in that chart I think on number eight and we literally looked at each other and went ah there's there's there might be an audience out there for this and and quite frankly yes every year it just grows and grows in terms of listenership so we're at I think 345,000 downloads in 55 countries I think actually SoundCloud stops counting after 55 countries but anyway um so it's it's still like one of my absolutely favorite things to do in my working day and I do it yeah I do it completely because I just love having these fascinating conversations with interesting people I guess I go back to that first love of journalism as well I think Mm -hmm. there's something about I've often wondered whether people sort of take a circular route in their career you know they start off doing something they love they're drawn to it and before they know it they've been promoted and they move on and they get more responsibility and I've often seen people go back at the end of their career towards the end of their career to something that they initially fell in love with so I think in some ways I might have come a little bit full circle with doing the show but yes I every time it comes to interviewing someone new to research them to read their book just beforehand I'll get as nervous as I did probably the first time around and when I miss meet my listeners I am humbled and thrilled and excited to meet these super smart ambitious people who have all the vast amounts of content out there have chosen loyally to listen to the show and I'm just immensely humbled by that so yes sorry that was a very long answer to that question Monique (laughs) but it is a fabulous show and you've had uh, Chris Voss who wrote Never Split the Difference I love that book and uh, Sue Dewhurst and Liam Fitzpatrick who are basically the writers of the internal comms textbooks Mm. Uh, I don't know how many they've written now do you have any I know, like children, we shouldn't yes, have favourites. we shouldn't have favourites. <laughs> Do you have any particular episodes, though, that spring to mind? I think I mentioned, um, I love that one. Oh, gosh, I, it's embarrassing. I can't remember his name, but he sat on the aeroplane and it had to tell his yes. CEO. Jason Antoine. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the yeah. one. I thought that was fabulous. And he's um, got this yeah, tell wonderful American Southern accent, I'm not go- which I am not going to impersonate. But he said, all of a sudden, Katie, I realised I'm in the courage business, not the comms business. I was like, exactly. Oh. And, and I get that tingle when someone says something like that. Victoria Jew was full of those lines in the show. And you get those tingling moments. Where you think, oh, this is this is gold dust. So. To answer your question, I think probably I need to say up front that I do force myself to listen back to every sort of final show that we put out there. And I sometimes listen back to some of them more than once. It's pretty painful to listen to your own voice as it is to watch films or videos of yourself. But I'm always trying to think, what did I leave hanging? What did I leave uninvestigated 
could I have handled that question better? Could I have got more out of it? So I think it's, as I say, I'm still very much feel like I'm, I'm learning and finding my way as a host of the show. And when I think about my favourite episodes, they are all... My favourites are all favourites for, for different reasons, I suppose. So it really depends on what you're, what you're looking for. I would say one thing that's just interesting as an aside is every time I listen back, I realise I've, I've missed something when I was interviewing them. I didn't hear something. I literally didn't hear something. Now, I am hanging off every word they've said and I have still missed something. So that's quite interesting for all of us, actually. We think we're paying attention. Even when we really are paying attention, there are still going to be things we miss. So I just think that's just kind of like an interesting lesson for all of us. So standout episodes for me, they're all, as I say, for different reasons. So to interview Bill Quirk face-to-face, who is one of the people that really did shape the modern profession with his books and his frameworks and his models was a privilege. And so surprising because I had no idea how funny he is. So he's got amazing sense of humour. And for the same reason, I loved my interview with Steve Crescenzo. So you've got so much wisdom about crafting really compelling content, but he does it in such a funny, entertaining way. And that helps really all of his lessons stick in your memory. Suji Hurst and Liam Fitzpatrick are an internal comms powerhouse. There's no doubt about it. And I think what's interesting about, I've interviewed them twice now, they are very different individuals. And it's the relationship and the way that they spark off each other that is special. And I think you hear that in both episodes. The episode with Dr. Kevin Ruck, there's a lot of wisdom in that show. And I've listened back to that a couple of times and been surprised every time by how much wisdom he shares. I couldn't quite believe that Professor William Kahn said yes to appearing on the show. So he's the uh, professor who developed the term engagement as a word in back in 1990 to describe how we feel we're in that state of kind of high motivation and, and flow with work. And he, again, just an amazing, amazing interview. I loved every moment of that. I've also had the privilege of interviewing Sally Sussman twice. She, people might remember her, she spoke at a world conference a couple of years back. She's the VP and Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Pfizer. And she was in the room when the FDA, when the Federal Drug Authority actually approved Pfizer's vaccine for clinical use. She was on Pfizer's vaccine development task force. She is the boss, I think, that if I had to report to anyone now, oh my goodness me, she's the embodiment of wisdom and warmth and understanding that actually communications is almost a higher calling where we get to, if we do it really well, build bridges, solve problems. I mean, just a completely inspirational woman. And the final thing I'd say is there is a side of me, and listeners will know this, that I do occasionally like to get quite kind of niche and nerdy and get into the weeds and there are a few episodes where I've been allowed to do that with real experts in their field and so culture with Shane Hatton how we build cultures dismantle cultures reinvent cultures he was fantastic there's a whole episode about research and management with Benjamin Ellis which was just completely eye-opening and 
there's an episode with uh, no one will necessarily know this individual but phil dobson who's a physiotherapist a psychotherapist and we talk a lot about mindfulness and mindfulness practice so when i get the chance to get nerdy <laughs> i love that too so what I will do is I will share with your listeners, I'll share a link with you that you can put in the show notes. I've written an article on LinkedIn, which is 12 episodes to solve 12 different internal communication challenges. So that might be a way of helping people who are new to the show navigate the back catalogue and work out which might be the best episode to listen to. Of the 91, where to start, I think exactly. that'd be really useful. And I'll, um, I'll pop that in the show notes for our listeners. And for our listeners, the whole time Katie was speaking, I could just see this big smile on her face as she was talking about the guests and, and all of their insights. I'm curious, were there any common themes that came through? I mean, you spoke with very different guests so about very different topics, but was there something that resonated with you, with your yeah, future but- guests? Yeah, so this is a really interesting question. I've been pondering whether there are any, what I would call meta lessons, you know, whether there are any common traits, common themes that define success for people in their careers, Mm -hmm. uh, in their chosen calling, let's say. And I've been wondering, could you analyse this way over 100 hours of content now and actually find what those lessons are, what those insights are? And I can't pretend to have done that work properly fully yet, although thanks to AI and and the fact that now all of this content is on a platform that is incredibly searchable, so we can do this work. But I think a few things come to mind. And I do actually, one of the questions I've started to ask in the quick fire section at the end is, what trait or characteristic do you believe that you have that has most led to your career success? I've deliberately included that question to to get more granular with this sort of, um, with with these kinds of things that sort of drive success. So a few things spring to mind, curiosity by far, but I think we can be a bit throwaway with that term and we can say, oh, we just need to be curious. I think it's a lot more than that. I think (laughs) I'd almost call it methodical curiosity. So it's not randomly waking up in the morning and thinking today, I think I want to find out more about this. But is he saying this topic or this profession or this discipline butts up against mine, whether that's behavioural science, whether that's data and analytics, whatever it is, I ought to find out more about it because there's there's something here that's going to help me and develop me. So I think it's being quite structured and methodical in where you focus your curiosity. I think the other thing is not thinking of curiosity as people are born curious or not curious. It's a kind of natural trait, but actually saying, no, I'm going to make curiosity a habit. So I'm going to do something every week or every month, which means I have no choice but to get curious. So one of the things I do, and some weeks it's it's harder than others, 
I make myself every Friday write this Friday update, which anyone can subscribe to. It used to just be for AB colleagues and clients. And we just used to send it out to that kind of small ring fence network. But now anyone can sign up for it. Again, I will send the, the link to you, Monique. So if anyone's interested, it's never more than five bullet points long, but it's what's happened in that week in the world of communication that I think has been interesting, that I thought, oh, that's piqued my curiosity and it might be a report it might be a new campaign it might be an event it might be something I've read it might be a podcast the act of having to write that at the end of every week means I have no choice but to go looking for those things so my advice I suppose there would be build it into the way that you work to to force yourself to have to go looking for interesting things around the things that matter to you and your work the other thing I think with particularly with the senior people, well, not just the senior people, actually, but there's some mid-level senior people. And I've asked them a lot about what constitutes success when it comes to managing upwards, you know, when it comes to managing your stakeholders, your chief, your C-suites. And the, the topic of honesty comes up a lot. And I know we hear this phrase quite a lot, speaking truth to power. And I think that gets overused. But there is something in there that I remember saying to Sally Sussman, what she'd, she's worked for Elizabeth Arden, she's worked for Pfizer, she's worked for American Express. I remember asking her, what goes through your mind the moment you walk into your, chief, your new chief executive's office for the first time? So you're meeting your chief executive for the first time. What goes through your mind? And she sort of stopped and said, oh, no one's never ever asked me that question. What a great question. And I love those moments in the podcast where we get to hear the guest's mind actually working. And, and, and I think to myself, we might get sort of something new knowledge coming out here, which is quite exciting. And it is that thought, she said, that I've always got to be honest with him or her. I've always got to tell the truth. They have to know I've got their back. I'm always going to support them, but I'm never going to dissemble. You know, you know, I'm always going to be honest, frank and candid. And sometimes that you have to be brave to do that. But nevertheless, that's the way they operate. And the other thing, finally, I just say is there's so many people that do not wait to be asked. You know, you ask them, how did they get to this job? How did they launch this fantastic initiative or have this great success with this particular project? Whatever it is. And so many times you hear people say, I spotted something was wrong. I went to my boss and they said, well, if you want to fix it, off you go. They didn't wait for someone to come to them. They didn't wait for the job advert to magically appear. They didn't wait for that opening. They created the opening. And so I've been really interested by that. And it's sometimes quite small. They've just walked in to their boss's offices and said, I don't think we're doing the right thing around X or Y. And if the boss has been smart, has turned back to them and said, interesting, okay, why don't you see if you can fix it? And they've run with it. So again, I think really interesting career lessons actually for all of us, I guess. So having initiative to make change and take ownership to do something about it, having a curiosity, but almost a hungry curiosity and deliberate about it and Oh, I've forgotten the third one. There. Oh, honesty, honesty, honesty. How could I forget honesty? Having 
the courage, I think, in the courage game, I think, going back to to the quote of standing up and being able to say things how they are. And I think, in my experience at least, a good leader does value someone who can hold the mirror up and can call it how it is. And I think as professionals, if we're not, I mean, you obviously have to do it strategically, but... If we're not able to do that, then we've let our team down, so to speak. Mm. Mm. In terms of, I mean, you use podcasting to help you grow professionally. I know you're also a member of the IABC like myself and networking plays a big role in there. We were able to catch up over dinner and also in New York. Are there other other areas that you have found personally to help you, you grow over the years and over your extensive career? I'm an avid reader, so I suppose it's important that yeah, I, I'm always very interested in book recommendations and what I tend to do is seen as, as soon as I see a framework or a model or a quote, I try to work out how I can pretty much use it within a few weeks or a few months. So to make things stick, um, I'm quite interested in those really practical applications of knowledge that you get through the theory, I suppose, which has always been top of my mind. I love in-person events. Sorry, I was you had a question around that. I could see. <laughs> I was just I was just going to say so you set yourself personal challenges, like little mini personal challenges every time you come across a new idea to see how you can Yes. Do you set yourself a time limit or is it something that kind of niggles in the back of your mind over the coming week? Yes, I I suppose it I don't necessarily set a time limit, but I will I'll read some, I mean, I've been a subscriber to the Harvard Business Review for as long as I can remember. And I have various sort of mechanisms for making sure, I don't know if your readers are aware of something called Readwise, but if you read Mm -hmm. things on the Kindle, buy yourself a subscription to Readwise. So when you highlight interesting lines, quotes, ideas in books, Readwise will feed this back to you every week in an email from all of your highlights for all of the books in your Kindle library. So there's various things that you can do to make sure that what you're reading doesn't just kind of go in one ear and out the other, as it were, in one eye and out the other. It stays with you and you're reminded of it. And then as a consultant, of course, we love our four box models. And so playing around with those and working out new ones and and, and new ways of analysing information, I, I, I love all that. I do enjoy in-person events. I just, I think there's there's no substitute really for getting together with a bunch of like-minded professionals and chewing the fat <laughs> and just sharing triumphs, tribulations, what went wrong, what went right, hearing about other people's challenges, which is why I absolutely love World Conference. I am a huge, huge fan. If I had the money, I would send everyone on AB across the water every year to World Conference. I just think it's such a powerful, exciting, inspiring event. And what else do I do? I guess, I guess the other thing is just lots and lots of questions. So even if, you know, whoever I'm meeting for the first time, finding out what what's keeping them awake at night, what they're worrying about most, try and disentangle, not just the urgent things that they're working on, but the more important things that they don't have enough time to really think about, but they need to sort of elevate and prioritise. 
And that helps me hopefully suss out the landscape, what's happening, where people are. Because I think as a consultancy, as, as an agency, you've got to kind of meet the client where they are. So we can get very excited by newfangled ideas, fantastic creative concepts, but you've got to meet the client where they are and where their businesses are. So still a lots and lots of questioning and listening very hard to what people are saying, I guess. I, I agree. It's the gap between the ideal that everybody's talking about and the case study that everyone's talking about versus the actual reality of what their actual culture might, where it might be at or where the technology might be at. It um, can be sometimes interesting and important to, to meet them where they're at. In terms of all of the sort of import that you're getting, I'm kind of feeling like it's faster and faster and faster now and there's just, I'm almost getting FOMO for, you know, going to sleep at night that I wake up in the morning and there'll be a new report that's come out or a, a, a new study or a new opinion piece or something that another internal comms person or an insight or something from the people department or a new measurement thing from across the globe and it almost feels overwhelming. Mm. What's your perception there and how do we as professionals slim down and kind of focus on what we do need to know? That's such a good question, Monique. That's such a good question. It's such a noisy world, isn't it? It's a noisy, noisy world. And so many people now are aware of personal branding, aren't they? And mm-hmm. I'm finding even in-house communication professionals are positioning themselves on social media as freelance consultants position themselves. They don't need to, but they're still very conscious of the fact that they've got to have a identifiable personal brand, which is right. But that just leads to more comment, more content, more posts. And... Absolutely. It can be quite overwhelming, I think. So I'm quite deliberate in the people that I follow. I follow far fewer people than follow me. And I, yes, I am quite, what can I say? I'm quite careful. So a good example would be a report or a new study. The way that I handle all of those straight away is I go straight to the back. What was the sample size? Was it done, you know, if it was seven people, 70 people, or was it like the Edelman study where it's 33,000 over 70 countries? I'll pay attention to something. So, you know, just little things like that. Before you get very excited by a new study or a new report, go right to the back, find out about the methodology. Is it something you need to be paying attention to or is it just a PR exercise? And then I'll be honest with you, I think that, that too much of what gets called thought leadership is not particularly thoughtful and is not particularly leading. I don't think it meets the definition. So I would say for whoever you are as an individual, just spend your time following and reading what really resonates with you. And I can't say who that's going to be for you because everyone's going to be different. But these these devices that we have are designed to 
literally suck time from us. I mean, that's what they're there to do. And anyone who's done this, I do it. I pick up my phone to do something quite specific. And before I know it, I've forgotten what that thing was that I had to ring my mum and I'm sucked into LinkedIn or whatever. So I just think we all need to just be incredibly mindful as we open up the screen, whatever that screen is, what are we there to do? And if we want to learn about something new, if we want to survey the landscape, if we want to see what the reports are, that's just do that thing and do it in a mindful, determined way. Don't be random about how you're using your attention. You only get so much attention. So think of it almost as if, you know, as if you had to sort of pay for it, how would you spend that attention, if that makes sense? I think attention's um, one of the biggest commodities along with trust that we'll be seeing people fighting over and that's, I mean, that's already the case with the number of pings and things that happen on everybody's phone. It's very challenging to stay focused and be deliberate, as you said, on the report and delving into very quickly, does this make sense? Does this Is this a valuable piece? Um, but I just want to quickly come back to a comment that you said about definition of thought leadership. <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> definition of thought leadership. How would leadership. you define it? Yeah, I mean, for me, a thought leadership's got to have a aha moment. There's got to be a moment where you go, oh, see what they did there? I hadn't thought about that before. Now, sometimes that's putting two ideas together and coming up with this third thought that's totally new. Uh, sometimes it's telling you something you've never managed to quite articulate, but all of a sudden it's like, ah, I've often thought that, but I've never managed to find the words to describe it. But I'm sorry, if I read another thing about how we need to segment our audience or how we need to have two-way dialogue in internal communication or how we need to get better at measurement or how we need to measure outcomes as much as outputs or how behavioral science is influencing the way that we design our activation programs because we've actually got to shift behavior and that's harder than just putting a poster up i'm sorry no none of that is new or advanced or special and maybe as I'm saying that, I'm feeling a bit rotten, actually, because it does depend, I guess, on what feels new to you and how long you've been doing something. But um, I, I suppose what I've got in my mind, the person I've got in my mind is Mike Klein at the moment. So what I find with Mike's stuff is that he will always come at something from an angle I haven't thought of. He will be decisive, sharp, on point he'll say it in 50 words rather than have to say it in a thousand words I might not always agree actually I usually do agree but yes so someone like that is a good example of a bo bother to we pay both... attention to more mics <laughs> <laughs> we um we're both um smiling and nodding he's a, a good friend of both and um, also been on the podcast before, um, recently actually with um, Kevin Rock discussing the latest, we're picking apart the latest sort of research and reports in the internal comm space. So absolutely, I agree, um, someone who gives you those aha moments and comes up with off the cuff, it always seems like off the cuff, but it just eloquent and yes. uh, poignant insights. Yes. 
So moving into 2024, what kind of business and comms trends are you seeing from your space in the UK, Katie? Mm. It's uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how over the years internal communication used to be the poor relation of all the comms disciplines. You know, we had less mm-hmm. resources, less people, less budget, less time at a senior level devoted to internal comms than, than, than other marketing and branding and investor relations. And I think that's changed fundamentally. And there's lots of reasons for that. But one of the big reasons I was reading a call again, going back to report, but I was reading a Corn Ferry report so the big HR consultancy, Corn Ferry Recruitment Consultancy, saying that by 2030, there are going to be 85 million unfilled vacancies around the world. So there's possibly with the exception of India, in almost every country, there's going to be a talent deficit. Now, there's lots of things driving that. It's not just an ageing population. It's changing sort of feelings about flexibility and what, what work actually looks like. Fundamentally, Mm -hmm. it's also a bit of a mismatch between the skills people have and the skills that are needed for the jobs of tomorrow. So there's lots driving this talent crunch, this supply problem. But we are going to see the need to attract and retain and develop talent rising up the corporate agenda fast. I don't think there's going to be a C-suite in the world that's not worrying about this. That is going to put pressure on organisations to develop a truly effective, compelling value proposition for employees, which is good news for us as long as we're in the mix helping to define and, and communicate that, bring that value proposition to life. It doesn't just sit in HR, it doesn't just sit in internal communication, but we need to be, you know, we all need to come together to do that. And I can, I don't know if it's going to happen next year, but certainly what we, I think we're going to have to see is some of the ways that organisations have been listening to and managing and communicating with their customers. They're going to have to start mirroring that with employees. I mean, it's always been this deep irony that organisations know their customers and their clients so well, can anticipate their needs, but obviously someone could be working for us for 30 years and they still get a dear colleague letter. I mean, it's just, it's nuts on every level. So I'm wondering whether as our business processes tools and the back office tools get better and we're seeing developments in that space and as our AI is used more and more in those kind of back office, can we start to really segment, not necessarily to a segmentation of one, but can we get more finely sliced with our segmentation so that, for example, I'm making this up now, but you've just gone on, you've just come back from maternity leave. You can receive an email saying, dear so-and-so, welcome back. Here's the podcast we've made for you about coming back after maternity leave. And that's going to support you in doing that. Congratulations. You've just done 365 days with us. Here's something, you know, so we're, we're, I'm not saying it's quite segmentation of one, as I say, but we're getting much more finely tuned with the way that employees feel like they're being valued, understood and known. And and that's, as I say, where we'll get there next year, probably not, but that's where we need to get to. And the other thing I just think we need to pay attention to is the fact that people want to do meaningful work. There was an interesting study coming out of the States last year where people were saying over the lifetime of their career 
they would take a pay cut in order to work that's almost always rather meaningful. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? That people more and more want to do work that aligns with their values, what they think is important. That's our job. Our job is to help people understand why their organisations exist, why their role exists, the contribution that their organisations are making to the world, not just making profit, but the deeper, broader, impactful societal impact of that organisation. That's our job to do that and bring that to life. So everything makes me think that internal communication is going to be elevated catapulted up the agenda in ways we haven't seen before we need to be ready for that we need to be on the front foot of that um yeah it's exciting times i think for us if we can get this right (laughs) i think it's exciting but also i feel a little kind of terrified by all of the content that's coming out the technical changes the there is that hyper personalization that's happening and yeah, I know that you know algorithms are feeding employees certain content, and that that fear of I guess more siloing. Yeah, so many directions it can go in. I think twenty twenty four is going to be really really exciting, and we'll, mm. we'll see how we we end up there. Did you have any further thoughts, Katie, that you would like to leave with our our listeners? Well, I think one of the things I'd like to say is. This has been a tough year, I think, for lots of people on lots of different levels. So if you've been, if you're a freelancer or an independent consultant, or you've been running an agency or working for an agency, there's been lots of, I think, kind of cost pressures and it's been a demanding, challenging time. And also with our clients, I'm noticing if you've been in-house, that demand the demand is up you know please do this please do that this needs to happen tomorrow but resources and budgets have not necessarily kept pace with those demands so i would urge everyone to look after themselves (laughs) i would urge everyone to cut themselves some slack if you've got to the end of the year and thought oh i haven't quite managed to do that thing that i set out to do with those new year's resolutions back in sort of 12 months ago just as i say look after yourself and be kind to yourself. There is always another year, hopefully, and it's important that you take a break and take a rest. It's weird to say the most important, cleverest, smartest thing you can do is walk away from your desk. I have never had a good idea sat at my desk. It's always come from sitting at my desk for long periods of time and then walking away. So... (laughs) I'm not sure when this is going to air, but I would encourage everyone to spend the next, you know, this little holiday break, taking long walks, spending time with your friends and family, forgetting about work, because it's when you'll forget about it that the bright, special, smart idea will probably come to you anyway. (laughs) Thank you so much, Katie, for your time, your insights. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm so glad that we finally got to sit down and, and do a podcast together. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's absolutely nerve-wracking to be in this seat rather than be the host, but I've enjoyed <laughs> it nonetheless. This is, my, this is my last question. Um, it's my sneaky question at the end. Was it? Did it feel the same? Yes. It's my, as I say, I always get nervous when I'm asking the questions, but this has given me fresh new insight into what it's like for my guests. <laughs> so it is... Uh, 
but no I've absolutely enjoyed it thank you so much for having me on and I hope it's been helpful to people lovely and everybody can reach out to you Katie and sign up to your newsletter Um, it'll be in the show notes as well as uh, the link to your podcast and there's LinkedIn as well absolutely yes please do link in with me and I am busily trying to think about guests and topics and things for next year for a season 11 which is going to kick off in January I want to do a little event virtual event where listeners can help me co-create that season by suggesting guests or topics and so on that for for us to cover so um, please do reach out if there's any particular guest or type of guest that you'd like me to interview I really want to sort of co-create season 11 with listeners so yeah very keen to hear from everyone sounds amazing 